Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to another episode. Actually, it's not an episode. It's a remote episode to the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm actually calling in to the Isle of Dr. Garneau this week because of the coronavirus. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me is Dr. Chris Garneau, literally from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. Yes, actually, um, coming to you remote, so uh, island, but uh, as, as further away. So, yeah, I'm home, and um, I am practicing social distancing right now. So, I'm a as for, uh, for the listeners that don't know, I'm a professor at USAO, and we are uh, currently in a situation where we are um, working from home. Actually, we're on spring break right now, but then next week we're going to be working from home. Um, and, uh, in the spirit of practicing social distancing, I've been spending most of my time, uh, just kind of hanging out the, uh, I got my kids with me and we, uh, we're, we're kind of doing what the CDC says. So we're sort of hunkering down. And then usually once a day we would get, get out, get around yesterday. We went for a walk today. We're probably going to go ride bikes around the neighborhood a little bit. Just kind of keep distance from, from other folks, keep them safe, keep us safe, uh, just sort of doing our part. And I have to say. It's um, it's a super trying time for our country, but as a sociologist, um, it, this is pretty fascinating uh, in terms of seeing human behavior under different circumstances, and there's all kinds of sociological theory and social theory that can be applied to what's going on. So we're going to have plenty to talk about for the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Well, and that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, especially is, um, okay, so what fascinates me is especially how um, children in larger cities are dealing with this. And I say larger cities. I mean, Norman, you know, to, to us here in southwest Oklahoma, that's a, that's that's a, probably one of the bigger cities to us. And it's interesting to see um, how these kids, like I saw your uh, kids with their uh, social, social distancing ball. Everybody had their yeah. own ball and nobody passed it, but yet everybody's the appropriate distance and looked like they were still having a lot of fun. Yeah, and so we have um, uh, we call it social distancing ball. So we have some next door neighbors, and they're about the same age as my kids, and they've honestly been kind of like very, very good friends, best of friends for about three years now. And so one of the sad parts, and this is true, I mean, we, like we are at our core as human beings, we are we're pack animals. We are group people. We're tribe people. We're you know we are not. We're not cats. I always tell my students this. We are not cats. We are dogs. Um, so a dog will get lonely pretty quick. A cat, and, and, and you know, and some cats are different, but cats, they can just kind of be by themselves. And they're kind of okay with that. They go off on their own a lot. Um, we didn't evolve like that. We evolved with others around us. So we are definitely very, very social. So um, especially for kids, too, who don't have a whole lot of understanding about what's going on right now. Um, can actually be really difficult. And so um, one of the things that the American Psychological Association has said is that, you know, figure out ways so that kids aren't doing the same thing every day, all the time. Um, use uh, FaceTime, use phone calls, use whatever you can to try to keep them connected because they're going to start feeling fairly isolated. But, you know, I think that that goes to say for everyone else uh, as well. And really it's just about how can you, you know, how can you participate socially safely and so for my kids, it was everyone gets their own ball and they're going to hang out with the neighbors and six feet is, you know, it's, it's, it's a ways, but you're not like across the, the street from each other. You're in the same, you know, they're in the same yard, just kind of chatting. 
And at one point, they just kind of all sat down at a spot on the lawn and just kind of talked and, you know, just stayed to themselves. They had their uh, winter gloves on for uh, extra precaution, and, and it was fine. And, and that honestly was the highlight of their week because when they came in, they, they hung out with the neighbor kids for maybe about a half hour that day was all. Um, but when they came in, their their faces were just really animated. They were really excited. They're like, oh, that was, you know, a half hour where we weren't watching TV or playing with the same Legos or, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, playing the same board games. Um, so, you know, the, the just mixing new things in, that's the other thing. As humans, we're group people, but we also really, really like novelty. And that presents kind of a, a, a challenge during this time, trying to mix, mix things up and, and keep things kind of fresh. When you're an adult, you kind of get used to monotony, but we still still like variety. But for kids especially, they get bored really quickly. So, you know, if, you, if you're listening, you got little kids out there, try to think of some new things that you can throw into the mix every once in a while, just to change things up a little bit during this time. That's a great idea. And one of the things that I'm noticing and, and what, I'm, what I really want to talk about is what you see like, okay, so, and we've noticed this before, like, we're seeing these people who are stepping up like these athletes and different people, okay, well, we're gonna pay these workers at these stadiums, but yet, why aren't the, why aren't the owners stepping up and and doing these things? And then on a larger scale, how, how is it that universal basic income was such a taboo and, and so far-fetched, and now all of a sudden Trump says, oh, let's give everybody $1,000 a month, and everybody is suddenly okay with it? Yeah, so that's, that was a, a weird little Jedi mind trick um, that, <laughs> that they did. Uh, it's probably the best way I can think of it. So one of the things that I, I, I find really interesting, and, and I saw this immediately, was a lot of the things that progressives had been calling for for a long time. So Andrew Yang, universal basic income, uh, Bernie Sanders, universal health care. Um, and we're not, just to be clear, we're not getting universal health care right now. But what is happening is the president did say at one point, Americans shouldn't have to pay for tests and they shouldn't have to pay for care for coronavirus. So that is, at least for this the scope of this one thing, universal health care, um, you know, if, if that's a, an, an issue. But this is, this is bearing to mind some of the, the progressive ideas that, that have been tossed around for a really long time. And, and it's kind of taking a crisis for us to look at this. So let's start with universal basic income. As people can't work, and, you know, some people can. I'm lucky enough that I have a job where I can work remotely. You're lucky enough where you have a job. You guys aren't in contact with a ton of people every day. Um, you can move freely around the, the building, so you guys are okay. Um, for a lot of Americans, they, they can't work now. So restaurant workers, that's a major concern. Um, in, in in the city of Norman, where I'm at, there are no restaurants open anymore except for takeout. Um, bars closed as well. And that means that if you're a tip worker, if you're someone who makes the majority of their living off of tips, this is going to hit you really hard. Well, Andrew Yang's universal basic income, which is not a new idea, Martin Luther King Jr. also thought uh, that would be a good idea. Um, that's one way that we can float people through this time. Um, and we'll get to the, the you know, what, what the corporate giants have to play in a little bit later. But healthcare is kind of the same thing. It's, it, you know, we have employer healthcare uh, based system, private based system primarily, and that's what we've primarily had. We've been talking about universal basic income for going on close to a century now. I mean, we're getting really close to that, that time period. We've had presidents 
LBJ um, was a he, he wanted to look into it. FDR wanted to look into it. A lot of Nixon, Richard Nixon wanted to look into universal health care. Um, as employers start losing their businesses or start losing money, especially small businesses, we're going to see it's harder for people to keep health care, and the government's going to have to respond. Um, okay, so what is the role of businesses versus government? And this is what's really interesting. Uh, libertarians, free market fundamentalists, capitalists for a long time said, let the market decide. Well, the market is deciding right now. The market is responding to a natural externality, um, and to use uh, economic speak. And that natural externality is a health crisis, a public health crisis. Well, if you're a pure free market person, you would say those businesses that prepared, uh, that stashed away enough money that they can weather the storm for a few months, they were responsible and they'll be fine. And others that can't, they'll go under. And that's just how the free market works. Um, well, we can't do that because our entire world economy is tied to one another. And so even if we, let's say, if, if we lost 10% of all the business, which we're probably, that's not beyond the scope of what, you know, what's probably going to happen, that's going to have worldwide ripples. And so in some ways, that free market capitalism idea, it works really well when we have governments and institutions propping us up, keeping things stable. Basically, think of it this way. If, like, I'm playing Monopoly with my kids. We have, like, a two-day game going. We're on day two because it takes forever. <laughs> as, long as, the table is, as long as the table is secure that we're playing the game on, we can play this capitalist game. But as soon as one of the legs gets cut out from underneath, all the pieces start falling. And we can't play anymore. Like capital, it's, capitalism is not holding on. So during this time, we're not relying on the big business, uh, big businesses, CEOs to pull us through. The government's really the only institution we have that is big enough and wide reaching enough and has a big enough scope to actually deal with this problem. The market cannot respond right now. And this is one of the limitations of a pure free market economy, which is why I think it's got to be some kind of a mixed economy. You have to have a little bit of that socialism. And, and you know, you can use that word, use a different one. I don't care. You need a little bit of government intervention to be able to weather the storm through this. The free market is not going to respond to it. So we're in a situation right now where you've got a lot of people who are like, oh, government's the enemy. You know, keep your hands off of me. Um, don't tread on me, who are now saying like, oh, my God, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like, how are you going to help? And so you've got these, these, you know, these folks that like Trump or fo folks that just, you know, like Republican ideology in general who are kind of all of a sudden okay with these socialist ideas. Why? Because the free market can't fix things. And it's the only thing that can fix it is their dreaded big brother. Okay, so this brings me to my next point. And we do have um, interviews um, about this very thing, but I want to reiterate it, too. So... Let's talk about the just basic differences of socialism and communism, because what, here's here's my issue with it is like all of this time people have been accusing Bernie Sanders of being a communist and they don't like it because he's a socialist. But it's just like you said, these are ideas that he has maintained for many, many for decades. And yeah, so how do you. How does how how does it that how is it that people um, can can flick that switch? Is it because their own well being is tied to it at that moment? 
I think so. You know, when things were stable, when you had, um, when you could predict what was going to happen tomorrow, it was a lot easier to, I think it was a lot easier to be a libertarian or to be a, a, a pure free market, you know, capitalist. It's, it, it, it's interesting when we start throwing the terms out. So um, I, I teach social theory uh, every year. And actually throughout the year, we, we talk about these different isms or ideas. So just to kind of be clear, like when we're talking about economics, the only two economic systems that we really have in the world right now are capitalism and socialism. And neither of them exist in a pure form. So we don't really, we don't really have a purely capitalist economy. Um, the United States pretty close. Um, there are other places around the world where there's very weak government, and those are usually not very nice places that could be operating a little bit more like pure capitalism. I always say, if you want to see pure capitalism, look at the drug trade. And I'm talking about the black market. That is capitalism. It, it's There's no government involved. You know, There's no taxes. Uh, there's no regulation on the products that are being sold. You can, you can cut any substance with anything else. Uh, that's capitalism. That's free market capitalism. That's terrifying. Um, but at the same time, if you want to look at a pure socialist country, um, you know, the closest that we get is like Cuba, Venezuela, something like that, that Venezuela is pretty repressive and they've got economic issues. Cuba, you know, to, to support Bernie Sanders a little bit, they do have a rock and healthcare and education system, but at the same time, people don't have a lot of freedom. So there is, we exist within a continuum, somewhere in between there. Like most everyone exists there. Communism, so there is no pure socialism, there is no pure capitalism. Capitalism, the government owns nothing, it's all privately owned. Uh, pure socialism, the government owns everything and sets all the rules. We don't have any places like that. Um, communism was just an idea by Karl Marx. Um, and it, it existed before him, but he was the one that wrote the Communist Manifesto. That's actually more about government and economy. So communism is um, not like socialism at all. Communism is lack of government, no government, zero government. Um, so that is not socialism. Um, it's it's not the government. It, it, it's uh, people working for only taking as much as they need and, and working as much as they can. And that's that's communism. And, and we're, we've never been anywhere close to communism. Um, communist Russia was not communist. That was, you know, Karl Marx would have rolled over in his grave if he saw what was going on in the Soviet <laughs> Union. So these isms, they get really kind of confusing. So let's put communism to the side. Bernie Sanders is not a communist. No one is a communist. Karl Marx was the only communist. Um, <laughs> and, and he's dead. So we're really just dealing with socialism and capitalism. And what we're looking at right now is the fact that the United States has really doubled down on more capitalist corporate corporatist model. Uh, meaning we've had welfare, but that welfare has primarily been for the corporate, uh, the corporate elite, the upper, the upper income earners. And what's going to happen very quickly is we're going to start to see what income inequality looks like in, at the time of crisis. And I want to point out something here in Oklahoma. We, we didn't have very many tests for COVID-19 to begin with. And we burned through a bunch of them on asymptomatic NBA players who are millionaires who came in for a game, and I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming the players. I'm saying a decision was made to test those who have a lot of means. Why do we know that Kevin Durant has it? Why do we know that Tom Hanks has it? You know, like we're hearing about all these celebrities, Justin Trudeau's wife. Um, but I know personally, I've heard stories of friends that I know who said, I got this friend 
they've got a, a persistent cough and they've got a low grade fever, but because they don't, they're not in an emergency state right now, they can't get a test for COVID-19. They're just being told to stay at home. So we're starting to see, especially when it comes to testing, and hopefully this doesn't come to bear, but at some point, differences in treatment based off of income levels. Well, I think, too, with Tom Hanks and uh, and Madame Trudeau, they actually, you know, contracted the COVID-19 in countries that actually have socialized health care. Right. Yeah. So they so they were actually able to to that wasn't a, that part of it at that point wasn't an issue for them because the, Australia was actually trying to test everyone at that point who came in with any right. kind of symptoms. Yeah. So then that's a level and, of preparation, right? I mean, that's just, I don't, I don't know. How, yeah, and, what, what do you say about that? I mean, is, am I right about that? Is it, is it just no, their good fortune right. to be someplace where they have socialized healthcare? That's another really good point. So he happened to be somewhere where they, he could get seen right away. And, but here's the thing in the United States, he would have been able to be seen right away too, because he's Tom Hanks. And he's right. Like, <laughs> probably just circumvent the, the healthcare system, right? And, and that's essentially what happened with the NBA players. Whether, mm-hmm. You know, we know Kevin Durant has it. He probably paid out of his pocket. But this this also goes to, to show that we didn't, like, we were pretty ill-prepared. And I, I will say the United States got us crapped together pretty fast, which is good, once we realized how far behind we were. Um, I It's horrible hearing the stories of what's happening in Italy right now. Um, Doctors are forced to make some really tough decisions based off of who gets a bed, who gets a ventilator, this kind of stuff. The United States is benefiting from the fact that we got hit after South Korea and we got hit after Italy because we're seeing two different models right now of what did China, well, and, and actually three, what did China do, what did South Korea do, what did Italy do? We're trying to avoid the Italian model, which was they didn't take it seriously. They didn't have widespread lockdown and instead looking at what China and South Korea did, which were larger scale lockdowns and more social distancing. Uh, it's interesting that the United States went with slightly more repressive models rather than our European counterpart. Um, but I think that was because they saw what happened in Italy. They saw what was coming in Spain. The UK, by the way, has been really slow to respond. England is actually lagging behind the United States in this. So I think part of it was we weren't prepared. We didn't have enough tests, and that was um, it was a ball that was dropped by the Trump administration, um, and it was a ball that was dropped by a lot of you know uh, upper level officials in the United States government that weren't listening to public health experts at the time. So and, and let's get back to Trump. I'm all, let's beat up on the president a little bit because we think you know we need to remind everyone of the timeline, what was happening. He downplayed this for a very long time. He said it wasn't a big deal. He said it was like a cold. We're going to take the numbers from nine or 15 down to zero. This is going to pass in a few weeks. At one point, he said this this is a hoax, not that the coronavirus is a hoax, but that the, the response to it was the media trying to help Joe Biden or whoever the DNC wanted to win, making it political. He has done, you know, every he did everything he could to keep his head in the sand until if everyone remembers about a week ago, he gave a speech on TV and it was the first time I've ever seen that guy terrified. Uh, he was reading off of a script, looking into the camera. And it was like, for the first time, it was like a kid being told, Oh, there are consequences to the actions. And he had to like kind of sober up real quick. 
Um, and since then, he, he has responded. He's been telling Americans to do the right thing. But, of course, he starts every speech talking about how great of a response he's done. He's the best president ever. No president could have responded as, as well as he did. It's just it, it's it's almost ridiculous to watch on a day to day basis. But, yes, leadership at this point matters. And um, I, I think we should transition into the Democratic uh, uh, the Democratic race right now, because when we talk about leadership, that. The, the the way that we get out of this is going to depend on people who are at the top. Absolutely. And, you know, he put Mike Pence in charge. As soon as I heard Mike Pence was in charge, I was like, oh, we're going to pray it away then. Thoughts and prayers. Let's kick that in. <laughs> yeah. Does he believe in climate change? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Okay. So now I have, let's switch gears a little bit. I have to know what you think about this insider trading. Speaking of Democratic and, and Republican leadership, and that's one thing that we talked about on Them Damn Indians, is let's not forget, this is a bipartisan insider trading issue. This is an issue where the longest serving, some of the longest serving members of Congress who are privy to this information that none of us are, are selling off their stocks in a way where you or I would be wholly arrested by the SEC immediately yes. and dragged through the ringer. Martha Stewart went to prison for this. Do you remember that? I do. I do. But it, I mean, look, look at these people who are involved. I mean, do you think Diane Feinstein's not going to be able to sidestep this? I mean, and, and not only that, I mean, Richard Burr is the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. That dude got the information first and, oh, and then went out and if, gave this disingenuous statement along the, the Trumpian lines. Yeah, it's 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 first off, it's a weird world we're living in. Secondly, yeah, is there going to be any accountability? You know, you know, for all the talk of draining the swamp, there's a lot of draining that's going to have to go on. Um, there's so much to say, and in coming weeks we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more. But it's, you know, this is this is a lot of what what Senator Sanders had been talking about for a long time, which was getting money out of politics, getting power out of politics. This kind of, you know, the the, the corruption that we see it at a mass scale. Um, it, it's interesting to see what's going to happen when, first off, let's, let's, we've got a few minutes left. I want to transition into election. Um, I think Ohio made the right call the other day to, to, to postpone their primary election. I thought it was, and the, gov the governor of Ohio came under some scrutiny saying he didn't have the authority to cancel a primary run by the parties. Well, I'm sorry, it's his state. Yes, he can. Um, it's a public health issue. Uh, the other states went ahead and went went ahead with voting. Um, I thought I thought that was a mistake, honestly, um, but they did it. Um, Biden's ahead. It's by not an insurmountable lead, but you know it would take a, a major rock shift to the system. I think what's this is my prediction. What's going to happen? I mean, Biden's probably going to get the nomination. I don't. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if this if if this whole situation is going to help or hurt Trump. I think it's too early to tell. I know he's never going below 40%. That's his ceiling. That's his 40, 35, 40% of the country just adores him. Any, he could mishandle, he could screw this up 180 different ways. And they'll be like, yep, he's my president. So he's getting those people. What we're talking about is everyone else, the other 60% of the country. 
And Joe Biden, who, you know, a lot of Democrats are feeling a little nervous about or they they don't really know how to feel about him. Um, I think Joe Biden does. He's kind of got this Grandpa Joe thing going on, and I'm not trying to poke fun at his age or being ageist, but he does kind of have that. Maybe he will be seen as a secure kind of uh, option in terms of leadership. I think this may help him a little bit. Um, I think he's going to have to appeal to, if he does get the nomination, he's going to have to figure out how to get the Bernie voters to not stay home. And I think he's going to need to have a VP pick who is going to be progressive in order to extend that olive branch. That's my prediction. I don't know if that's exactly what's going to happen and that could change in the, in the time coming up, but that's how I see the presidential landscape shaping right now. Interesting. Okay, so since he has, since, oh, Papa Joe has committed to um, a female VP candidate, which I thought was really too early and kind of disingenuous, um, what say you? Who do you think, yeah, like, little, can he even hold to it, that, or is he going to try to get Warren, or what do you think? Yeah, it was it was early. I, all indications point to one. I mean, it really does. It's she was she's the third highest vote getter. He's already committed to a female VP, as you said, really early to make that decision. Um, but if those are his criteria, it, we, he hasn't said he's going to pick a progressive, but we know he's going to pick a progressive. He's got to bring the two the two wings of the party together. Is it going to work? I don't know. And this is the problem. Um, he's got to get younger voters to get excited about him, which I I don't know if he can. Uh, and the other thing is there are a lot of burned Bernie voters who feel like this is two elections in a row. Now the DNC worked against their candidate. Um, you're, so you're going to have, I think, I think the Bernie voters are going to be split, be split. There are going to be some who are going to vote right in with third party green, or they're going to stay home. Uh, and then there are those that are like, I hate this, but we have the word probably one of the biggest crises that we'll ever see in our lifetime and look who's getting the ship right now. Um, And they'll hold their nose and vote for Biden. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's really going to be interesting to see because I saw an article and I didn't get to check it out on Snopes or get to really fact check it or anything, but talking about preparing to do uh, mail-in ballots for the presidential election in November. There's so much and see, we're out of time. So we're going to have to save that for, for the next time and what the implications would be of paper ballots for a Trump, uh, Trump, whoever, Biden, Sanders, whoever gets that election. Yeah. And there's, there's so much wrong with it. We can't even get to it in the couple of minutes that we have, but uh, thank you so much, Dr. Garneau for uh, calling it in this week. And I'm so glad that you guys are, are surviving up there in Norman. When, once they close the libraries, um, I knew I, you know, that's that that was actually my my uh, canary in the coal mine, so to speak, was when they shut yeah. the libraries down. I was like, oh, man, because that's to me, the library, the that's, library is the lighthouse and the beacon of the community. And once that's once that's dark, it's um, it's it's serious implications for a lot of people, especially these students that don't have the Internet resources that they need. Um, to do their schoolwork at this time. I I just want to throw one more thing out there too. Everyone be safe. Um, You know, listen, 
uh, we're not we're not submitting to the government by listening to Big Brother, but we are listening to the professionals, the experts right now. Uh, of course, good hygiene, wash your hands, that kind of stuff. But more than anything, just you know, keep your distance for the time being, and and hopefully we can weather the storm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Garno. That's going to do it for us in this week's episode. We'll catch you back here next week. Another remote episode. We're going to call it in to the aisle, to the aisle of Dr. Garno next week, because you know what? It's still going, like he said, and just practice great hygiene um, and be nice to one another. Don't hoard all of the supplies, inexplicably toilet paper. I know we're confined, but you know, Um, Just make sure that everybody in your community is taken care of. Be safe out there and we'll catch you back next week. Have a great day, everyone.